Well, church, today we're beginning a, a new sermon series uh, that uh, on the book of Romans uh, that we will be in from this Sunday all the way through the rest of the summer and throughout all of the fall up to the season of Advent. And so for the next 20 weeks, we're going to be working our way through a majority of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And the reason that we're going to dedicate so much time to this one book of the Bible is because it is considered by many of the most famous and influential thinkers in Christendom, as summarized by John Stott, to be the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel that exists in the scriptures. Martin Luther called it the chief part of the New Testament and truly the purest gospel. John Calvin agreed and noted that in this letter, we have an open door to all of the most profound treasures of the Bible. It's a letter that throughout the centuries has been credited for enlivening the faith of many notable saints. It was the book of Romans that St. Augustine said dispelled all of his shadows of doubt and that brought a light of, re- of relief from all anxiety flooding into his heart. It was the book of Romans that Martin Luther said soothed his tormented conscience and caused him to be reborn and became to him a gateway to heaven. It was the book of Romans that the Lord used to strangely warm the heart of John Wesley and that led him to trust in Christ and Christ alone for his salvation. One modern theologian helpfully added that very many or very ordinary men and women have been affected by this book too. And he concluded by saying that indeed there is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the book of Romans. This book has had a profound impact on many. And it can have a profound impact on you. And so we're going to spend a significant time uh, in it for the rest of this year. Part of the reason that Romans has made such an impact on so many people for so long is because it addresses so many of the deepest and most fundamental questions that we ask in life. What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? Where do I stand with God? Why can't I do what I know is right? Why do I always keep doing what I know is wrong? What hope or help do I have to be a better person? To be the person that I want to be. To be the person that God has made me to be. Is my salvation secure? If you've ever asked any of those questions, the book of Romans is for you. And whether you're wrestling with those questions currently or you've wrestled with them in the past, this message still applies. Because the good news of the gospel isn't just the entry point into our lives with God, it's the entire journey. We begin our lives of faith by the gospel. We live our lives of faith in light of the gospel. We end our lives of faith in the hope of the gospel. It's often been said the message of the gospel is like a pool in which a toddler can wade into and yet an elephant can swim. And that it is both simple enough to tell to a child 
and profound enough for the greatest minds to explore to a never-ending depth. We're told in the scriptures that even the angels long to look into these things. The heavenly beings never tire at marveling at the good news of what God has done. And we're no angels. So we can't exhaust its depths either. And so for the next 20 weeks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to swim in the gospel message of Paul's letter to the Romans. And if at any point over the course of, of this series, that 20 weeks begins to feel too long to you, just remember that the great British pe- preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones spent more than 12 and a half years and preached 366 sermons on Romans And he only made it to chapter 14 before he died. In fact, he preached 29 sermons on chapter 1 alone. So if 20 weeks ever starts to feel like it's dragging on, know that we are actually flying through this book on your behalf. This morning, we're going to begin by looking at Paul's introduction to the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. You know, it's interesting when when we write a letter... We always begin with a greeting, right? Dear so-and-so, how are you, right? And then we identify ourselves as the author of the letter only at the very end, once everything has been said. Sincerely, Don, or, or whoever it is that's written the letter, right? But in the ancient world, they did the exact opposite. Identifying the author of the letter first and adding their own personal greetings on at the end. And in the letter to the Romans, this is what Paul does following the conventions of his day. So here in the first 15 verses of Romans chapter 1, what we have is Paul's introduction of himself and of his letter to the church in Rome. And while this is only an introduction, and the meat and the substance of the letter is still to come... Like next week, we'll look at the overarching theme of the book of Romans, and then we'll dive into the big, you know, what's the problem with man and the, and the provision of God and God's plan for the world. While, while, while those big issues are yet to come, still the, the introduction actually lays vitally important groundwork for us that is essential for us to understand if we want to be able to accept the rest of what Paul has to say. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. So if you have a Bible, I excuse me, encourage you to open it to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, as we consider what Paul wants us to know about this letter. Specifically, its origin, its content, and its purpose for our lives. So first, Paul opens his letter by making known the letter's origin. Whose message it is. And while the very first word that we read in this letter is Paul's name, he's acknowledging that he is the one who wrote the letter. But he he immediately goes on to make very clear that though he is the writer of the message, he is not the author of it. Look with me at verse 1 where we read that Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus... Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. 
And in that opening verse, Paul makes very clear through three different statements that though he is the one sending this message to the church in Rome, it is not his message. Look at how he does that. First, he says that he is a a servant of Christ Jesus. The Greek word that Paul uses here for servant is the word doulos, which is also the word for slave. The first way that Paul identifies himself, apart from saying his name, is that he is a slave of Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. This is important to note. Because a slave has no agency of their own. They only do their master's bidding. And so by identifying himself as a slave, Paul is letting the church in Rome know that everything that he does and that everything that he says is in service to Jesus, his master. The second way that Paul identifies himself is that he was called to be an apostle. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but the apostles were a distinct group of eventually 13 men who were directly and personally called and commissioned by Jesus to be eyewitnesses to his life, death, and resurrection, and who were to proclaim the message of his life, death, and resurrection with authority to the world. So Paul is a slave who has been given authority in order to proclaim a message. And that message is the third part of Paul's opening statement. When he says that he was set apart for the gospel of God. Now the term gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. Which simply means good news. So when Paul says that he is a servant of Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, what he is saying is that he is a slave with no agency of his own who has been set apart and given authority in order to tell people about the good news of God. So right off the bat, with the opening words of this letter, Paul is making crystal clear to the church in Rome and to you and me today That these words, which we are about to read from him, are not his own. Instead, this message is the good news of God. These are God's words. It is God's message that has been entrusted to him in order to share them with others. But they're not his words. Paul makes this clear in the letter to the Galatians as well. When in the opening of that letter, he writes that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. We have an account of that revelation in Acts chapter 9 and a mysterious summary of it in 2 Corinthians 12. The point of all of this is that this letter to the Romans, these aren't Paul's words. He didn't invent them. They aren't his thoughts or ideas. These are the words of God. This letter is the good news of God 
to a world that desperately needs it. And the reason that is so important for Paul to make that point crystal clear right at the very beginning of his letter is because this has profound implications on how we will receive this letter and what we will do with this letter in our lives. Paul will end up writing some very difficult and culturally offensive ideas in this letter. There will be some concepts in this letter that will be very difficult for us to hear or to believe or to agree with. And the question for us right here at the very beginning is will we accept them and receive them as the word of God? Or will we reject them and ignore them as merely the words of man? Paul will say some very hard things. What will we do with them? He will also tell us some glorious truths about how to find forgiveness and how to enter into new and eternal life. Will we believe his words and receive them as the promises of God? Or will we dismiss his word and trust in our own wisdom for making our lives right with God? At the end of the letter, in chapters 12 through 15, he will give us instructions on how to live our lives in light of the rest of this letter. Will we amend our ways accordingly, as if these were the very instructions of God for our lives? Or will we keep living in a way that seems best in our own eyes, as if this was only the recommendation of man. Do you see how important understanding the source of this letter ultimately is? If it's just the words of a man, who cares? Disregard the parts that you don't like. Ignore what you don't understand. Change the meaning of any of it to suit your preferences. If, if these are just the words of man, it doesn't matter. But if this is the good news of God, then we must receive it and believe it and respond to it as if our life depended upon it. Because it does. And we must be willing to proclaim it and to share it as if other people's lives depended upon it. Because they do. This is the very first point that Paul makes in opening his letter. He's clarifying whose message It is. This letter to the Romans is the good news of God. Will you receive it as such? The second thing that Paul makes clear in his introduction is regarding the content of this good news of God. What is the good news of which God speaks? Well, after verse 2, which is a a modifier for uh, the good news of God, basically explaining that this is the same good news which was promised beforehand through the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. In verse 3, we get to the content of what this good news is all about. And if you read straight from the end of verse 1 right into the start of verse 3, you see it very clearly. Look at it with me. Paul says that he was set apart for the gospel of God, verse 3, Concerning his son. The good news of God is about his son. This is the substance of the gospel. 
It's the good news about God's Son. We actually see Paul state it directly that way later in verse 9 when he writes that it's the gospel of his Son. And Paul leaves no doubt as to who exactly this Son is and the descriptors that follow in the... Excuse me. In the end of verse 3 and in verse 4 where he writes that this letter is about God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And then he names him as Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news of God. He is the good news of God. Jesus the Messiah, who is both human and divine, fully man and fully God. And the reason it is so important for us to understand that the good news of God is His Son is because so often we get this wrong. Or at least we get it confused and we muddle the picture. For we have a tendency to make the good news of God all about a set of ideas to believe Or a set of propositions to accept and to abide by. We turn the good news of God into a religion. With doctrines that need to be believed and rules that need to be obeyed. We make our faith about what we we must do. Instead of making it about what God has done. It becomes about our ability to be good enough. Instead of being about God's goodness freely given to us. And when our faith becomes focused on us and what we must do, rather than on God and what He has done, that's no longer good news. That's bad news. That's no longer gospel. That becomes garbage. Because we're not able. Left to ourselves and our own power and our own strength and our own wisdom, we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, we're not wise enough. To be able to save ourselves. And when we try to be, we either end up crushed under the weight of the burden of a law that we cannot keep. Or we end up with pharisaical hearts. Feeling superior to others who haven't been able to live as morally or as ethically as we have. Either way, it is a pointless and empty pursuit. Jesus showed us this in our gospel reading this morning from John chapter 5 when he challenged the Pharisees who were excellent at keeping the law by saying to them, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Jesus is telling them that life isn't found in the laws and the morals and the ethics of Scripture. But rather it is found in Him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the gospel of God. This is why when Jesus came and He called His first disciples, He didn't tell them to, to follow a set of rules or to follow a specific teaching or, or to follow a, a, a specific doctrine. Instead, He told them to follow Him. Follow Me, Jesus said to the disciples. That's what Paul's telling us here in the beginning of this letter to the Romans. That the good news of God concerning 
his, is concerning his son, Jesus, and what he has done for you. So will you receive it? Will you receive him? The last thing I want to highlight about this introduction from Paul is the purpose for why he has written this letter. And we find this purpose in the middle of verse 5 where we read that Paul has been called and set apart for the gospel of God concerning his son in order to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. This is why Paul has written this letter. That we might find faith and that God's name might be glorified. This is the the response that the gospel always demands and always elicits. First, it demands a response of faith for us to believe. For in order for the the good news of, of God to come and to bear on our lives, we must receive it. We must accept it. We must believe it in faith. And while it's true, as Paul says in Galatians, that we are saved by faith in Jesus and not by works of the law, not because of our obedience, still, a genuine faith always leads to a response of obedience. We're not saved because we are obedient. We are obedient because we know that we have been saved. And that's a huge difference between those two. It is the mark of genuine faith. It's as James says, but what good is it, brothers, if someone says that they have faith but do not have works? Can that faith save them? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so it is here. Paul is desiring that the good news of God concerning his son will lead us to the obedience of faith. To a faith that works. That we would believe in Jesus and live our lives in joyful obedience to him in response to what he has done for us. This is what the gospel demands. And that is always for our good. It's always good for us. And when we respond in such a way, but when we respond in the obedience of faith, the glory of God is what that elicits. When we respond to the good news of God concerning his son with faith and obedience, God's name is made great in our lives and hence among the nations of the world. When we respond in faith, the Lord receives the glory that is due his name. And this is why Paul wrote Romans. This is why he shared God's good news concerning his son. That it might ultimately be for God's glory and for our good. And when we put all of that together, what we see is that this letter to the Romans is God's good news for you and me. Concerning his son Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, who came to earth and was raised from the dead, in order that we might respond to him with the obedience of faith that will lead to the glory of God's name in this world. That is what this letter is. 
That is what this letter is about. That is why this letter was written. And if we will receive this letter for what it is, the very words of God, and believe in Jesus for who he is, our Lord and our Savior, and respond to this message about him with a proper response in obedience of faith to the glory of God, then God only knows what he might do in our lives in response. At the beginning of the sermon, I gave you a number of testimonies about how the Lord has used this letter to the Romans in the lives of a number of great saints. He used this letter to change their lives, and, and in their, with their lives, they changed the world. And then I noted that one modern theologian acknowledged that very ordinary men and women have been affected by this book, too. And he concluded by saying, indeed... There is no saying what may happen when people begin to study the book of Romans. Over the next 20 weeks, Redeemer, we want to invite you to begin to study the book of Romans. With an expectation that there is no telling what may happen when ordinary women like you and like me, ordinary men and women like you and like me, Study the word of God and take it as it is. The good news of God concerning his son who died and rose again so that we may respond in the obedience of faith to the glory of God. Or for God's glory and for our good. May it be so. Amen.